Welcome to Undruggable, a special edition podcast series produced by the Scientists Creative Services team. This series is brought to you by Amgen, which is a pioneer in the science of using living cells to make biologic medicines. They helped invent the processes and tools that built the global biotech industry and have since reached millions of patients suffering from serious illnesses around the world with their medicines. While breakthrough discoveries in drug development have been made through the years, 85% of disease targets are still considered undruggable. Ray Deshays, a senior vice president at Amgen, believes that the fourth wave of drug innovation is here, led by a new type of multi-specific medicines that will radically alter a concept of how drugs can work and pave the way for new solutions. Multi-specific medicines that bind to and bring together effector and target molecules are leading the fourth wave of drug development. In this episode, I speak with Craig Cruz, the John C. Malone Professor of Molecular, Cellular, and Developmental Biology and Professor of Chemistry and Pharmacology at Yale University. Years ago, Craig and I collaborated on a project to develop Protax, a form of multi-specific medicine that binds to targets once thought to be undruggable and recruits to those targets an E3 ubiquitin ligase, resulting in destruction of the protein target. We take a deep dive into the history and function of Protax and make bold predictions of the future of this new type of medicine. Craig, it's really great to be with you here today. I can't think of anybody better to talk about the history of how Protax and targeted protein degradation came about. Glad to be here. Looking forward to it. I'll set the context for where the field was at from my perspective and what my own lab was doing at the time we met. I had started my lab in 1994 and over time had begun to work more and more on ubiquitin-dependent proteolysis. And my lab had co-discovered what has turned out to be a huge family of ubiquitin ligases. And we were trying to understand how these ubiquitin ligases worked. Right around that time, there was a pretty big breakthrough where other labs were starting to identify the first degradation signals within proteins. So these were small peptide segments within proteins that the ubiquitin ligase enzymes recognize. These ubiquitin ligase enzymes bind these signals and then they recruit ubiquitin conjugating enzymes that transfer ubiquitin onto the protein target. Ubiquitin served as a signal to allow the protein target to be recognized by the proteasome that would grab the protein and chop it up into tiny little pieces. Having these short little sequences then really opened up the potential to start engineering those sequences that are recognized by ubiquitin ligases into proteins and engineering the degradation of proteins at will in that manner. My lab, we were focused on chemical biology, developing new tools that could hopefully answer questions in cell biology. I had proposed to the Burr's Welcome Fund a project whereby we would have a dimeric molecule that bridge two proteins and bring two proteins together. Very fortunate that my grant got funded. Part of that award was this uh, year-end annual symposium. That was the first time we met. If I remember correctly, it was over a few beers. I started to learn more about E3 ligases. Together, we hatched this idea of inducing protein dimerization as a way to recruit neosubstrates to E3 ligase to sort of hijack 
the cellular protein recycling machinery. Yeah, it was a wonderful start to a very productive collaboration. And, and that led to a number of papers, first of which described Protex for proteolysis targeting chimera. I'd like you to take us through a bit of a journey here describing what's a Protac, how is it structured, how does it work? A Protac is a molecule that can induce proximity of an E3 ligase and a neosubstrate, a protein that would not normally be recognized by that particular E3 ligase. And by inducing this proximity, the neosubstrate becomes sufficiently ubiquitinated and then subsequently recognized by the proteasome for, for degradation. Protacts have three components, a small molecule that will engage an E3 ligase, a small molecule on the other end that will engage the target protein, and then these two ligands are linkered. And depending on the link of the linker, it can be quite long, it could be flexible, it could be rigid, it could be short. There's a lot of empirical exploration that goes into optimizing the linker. In fact, my lab coined the term linkerology in jest that describes all of that effort. There's been a fair bit of effort, I would say, to try to distinguish between a protac and what they call molecular glue. I would like to say that a molecular glue is a protac, but just has a very short linker. We had experience at Amgen where we started with a conventional protac where we had the two separate ligands, one that bound the ligase, the other bound a target, and there was a pretty sizable linker between them. And then the chemists put the molecule on a diet. They wanted to reduce its molecular weight, make it smaller, more compact. They ended up with a molecule that instead of having the two different parts separated by a long linker, they essentially co almost completely got rid of the linker and just attached the two parts directly to each other. So now that molecule was bringing the target and the ligase very close together so that the two proteins were directly interacting. And it was more potent and more effective than the original molecule. I think that experience of starting with what anybody would call a protac and ending up with something that looks more like what people call glues really, to me, sort of cemented the idea that it's just a continuum. Fundamentally, they all do the same thing, right? They just bring two things together if you start with a glue, when you start building in a longer and longer linker, you eventually end up with a protac. I agree. They end up the same. But where you begin is an uh, important distinction in the sense that glues, some people describe them as monovalent degraders. It's hard to think of a way to proactively design a particular degrader to a, a particular target protein. If the doctors are telling us this is the protein that's causing the disease. You need to degrade this protein. If you're starting with a glue that already have both ends baked into one molecule, it's somewhat difficult to now screen or identify a glue that's going to degrade that particular target. By separating the E3 ligase binding element from the target binding element, a protac is modular one can focus on just finding a ligand that binds to the target protein. Whether that has any biological activity or not does not matter by itself. But once incorporated into this heterobifunctional dimerizer, one can now recruit that target protein to that particular E3 ligase and through optimization really 
make that linker shorter and shorter so that you actually get that ultimate protein-protein interaction. The human genome is coding roughly 20,000 different proteins. And it's been estimated that as many as 85% of those proteins are undruggable because they lack pockets that are required for the function of the protein. To drug a protein, it has to have some sort of pocket that you can put a molecule into, and that pocket has to be important for the function of the protein so that when you put a molecule into it, you can block its activity, for example. Comment on how targeted protein degradation and Protax relate to that issue of undruggability and how they may expand the frontiers of what we consider to be druggable. Modern pharmacology is predicated on the concept of inhibition. Small molecules blocking the function of some protein that's causing a disease or some pathology. For the most part, these proteins do some chemistry. They're enzymes. They convert A into B. And by now adding a drug, you can block that conversion of A to B. But as you point out, there are thousands of proteins for which there are no drugs. And that's in large part because these undruggable proteins do not do chemistry in the same way that enzymes do. Oftentimes, these undruggable proteins work via a scaffolding function. They work by serving as a place for other proteins to bind. Their function is simply to exist. And therefore, to pharmacologically address that function, you have to make them not exist. We feel that this targeted protein degradation field, Protax, offers a, a new modality whereby we're going directly to the function of these mini scaffolding proteins. And within scaffolding proteins, I put in families of transcription factors. I put in cytoskeletal proteins, regulatory proteins. There are many, many proteins for which we cannot develop a small molecule that will block its function because its function is simply to exist. That's what gets me excited about Protax and, and the field of targeted protein degradation is being able to go after all of these proteins and expand the drug target space, as I like to say. What do you see as the major challenges in designing and developing Protax? What's the most difficult part? I think that the most difficult part is and will remain the identification of a ligand to a target protein. As you start to think about going after proteins that are in the undruggable space, for which there are no small molecule binders, that's a daunting first step. You need something on that end of the protac to bind to the target protein. Now, I would argue even though it is a, a heavy lift, it's, it's not as heavy a lift as it was 10, 15 years ago in the sense that now there are many more screening technologies that allow one to identify those hits. I'm thinking of DNA-encoded libraries, high-throughput screens, looking for just biophysical measurements of ligand-protein interaction that have no enzymatic readout. There's been now a bit of a, a mini-revolution in ligand discovery. Because previously, there was no driving force for one to develop a screening technology that would just simply find a binder, because a binder isn't necessarily biologically active. But now, through the Protect technology, one can convert a simple binder into a potent degrader. That has spurred a lot of creativity. 
I hope that we'll have a catalog of 20,000 proteins and 20,000 corresponding cognate small molecule ligands. What do you see as being advantages of Protax over a conventional small molecule drug? There is a very attractive epigenetic reader protein called BRD4. That is uh, upstream of a undruggable oncoprotein called MYC. And since we can't target MYC, uh, but we can target BRD4, there's been a lot of interest in developing BRD4 small molecule inhibitors. Many companies have come up with very potent inhibitors, and many of those have gone into clinical trials. They, however, have not necessarily lived up to possibly the full potential that was anticipated for this, in, in part because there's a very basic biological response to BRD4 inhibition. This is a very important part of cell biology, and nature has evolved mechanisms to sense any loss of BRD4 function and to compensate by upregulating BRD4 protein levels. So as an inhibitor is added to, to cells or given to a person, BRD4 function is inhibited, but BRD4 levels increase. And so this is a challenge from a drug development point of view in that what was an appropriate dose to inhibit the original levels of BRD4, now that you have actually turned on more BRD4 protein production, you need more drug. And more drug now will induce more of the protein level. And you can never get enough of the drug on board to fully saturate all of those binding sites due to dose-limiting toxicities, etc. So here's an example of just a compensatory mechanism of escape from just a basic inhibition paradigm. If we change the paradigm, moving away from occupancy, I'm going to fill that binding site with an inhibitor, to an event-driven pharmacology, whereby the drug upon binding the target actually tags that target protein for degradation, liberating the drug to do it again and again and again. One can actively address a very sneaky mechanism by which drugs are not working today. You've raised a couple of interesting points. One being that these molecules are inherently catalytic. You can degrade one protein and the same molecule can now go and trigger degradation of a second protein and then a third protein and a fourth protein, etc. And the other is that the occupancy model you referred to before, the minute the drug falls off, the protein reacquires its activity. So as the liver and kidneys clear the drug from the bloodstream, there's a one-for-one -one correspondence where as drug molecules are cleared, protein molecules become reactivated because they're no longer bound to drug. But in this case, when you degrade a protein, then you have to resynthesize it, which takes time. Do you see that this is going to change the dosing paradigm? Usually with drugs, you expect you're going to take a pill maybe twice a day or once a day. Do you see that paradigm potentially changing with these types of drugs? I think there is a potential for that. That's been seen in the laboratory using cells in a petri plate and in animal testing of some of the Protax, whereby a initial dose is sufficient to wipe out the pre-existing population of that target protein. But there's enough residual protac in the system, in the body, as the cells start to resynthesize 
this target protein and kind of mop up any protein that's trying to be made. And so we get a, a much longer response in theory to a protac because of this residual catalytic nature. That might open up opportunities where you might have more intermittent dosing. Instead of having every day, you could have every other day or maybe even once a week or longer. When I reflect on this field and how it's developed, it's a nice example of how fundamental research can drive the development of new paradigms in pharmaceutical industry. Is this field the energizer bunny and it's off on its own and it's marching forward and it has what it needs? Or do you see a continuing role for fundamental research discoveries and helping to propel this field forward? Today's basic research is going to fuel the discovery of tomorrow's drugs. But there are a lot that we don't know about how proteins are degraded. We know a lot about the ubiquitin proteasome pathway. We know some about autophagy. We know some about lysosome. But I feel that there are every day papers that appear in the literature that stimulate mine and other people's creativity and say, you know what, that's an interesting mechanism. I wonder how we can hijack that using a small molecule. I continue to be surprised at the complexity of nature. The one lesson that I think one can take away from the success of Protex is that it is possible to hijack a natural event that goes on inside cells, but steer it towards something that has clinical benefit. Instead of coming in with a big sledgehammer and, and trying to shut down something with an inhibitor, we're taking a more subtle approach and co-opting this machinery. But my point is, there are many machineries inside the cell yet to be discovered. And those discoveries are going to be made by basic researchers before anyone like myself can come along and say, okay, that's fascinating. How can I co-opt that from an applied drug development point of view? Was there a seminal moment when you became a true believer and said, this is going to be a new modality where there was a switch that went off or was it more of a gradual process over time? So the switch was more of a, okay, I'm going to double down. And that came after our 2008 paper where my lab made the first all small molecule protac, which was not a great protac. Uh, I'll admit that, but it demonstrated that we could use small molecule ligands to make something that was in the realm of a pharmaceutical, even though many people would say that it was a big, ugly molecule, because it was. But it looked closer to a drug than some of the stuff that we were doing earlier. To me, the success of that first molecule said, okay, there is a path forward. We just need to solve this one problem of making a more potent, better pharmaceutical property containing ligand for an E3 ligase. That launched a multi-year project that involved chemists, medicinal chemists, some structural biology, hundreds of molecules made. At the end of it, we were able to come up with a ligand that served as the basis for what I like to say is Protax 2.0. And once that was available and people within the industry could see that, then it was easy for them to be able to march in their mind down the path of how this could potentially be a drug. Before that small molecule demonstration, I feel that people in the industry had a hard time visualizing 
the leap from where you and I were collaborating in academia to where they needed for a true drug. I'm going to close by pushing you out on a limb here, Craig. The first monoclonal antibody approved, 1985. The first year in which a monoclonal antibody achieved blockbuster sales, 2002. So 17-year gap in there. When do you predict the first prospectively developed PROTAC will be approved by a regulatory agency? And when will the first prospectively developed PROTAC achieve blockbuster status? The good news is that there are many academic labs and now many small biopharmas as well as large pharma companies in this space. Collectively, there's an amazing amount of effort that's being applied to make this modality a reality. If you just look at what has been said publicly in terms of company pipelines and the timing of those pipelines, I would anticipate that the, the first approved PROTAC should come in the next five to six years. In terms of Blockbuster, many of these drugs are approved on a fairly narrow basis initially, then through additional clinical trials, move closer and closer to the front line. So I would say first ProTac in the first five to 10 years and the first Blockbuster in eight to nine years. Thanks so much, Craig. You know, it's really an exciting story. It's been a lot of fun to relive the past as well as think about the present and where the future is going with you. Thanks, Ray. That was fun. Thank you for listening to Undruggable. And thanks again to Craig Cruz, professor at Yale University. To dive further into this topic, please join Amgen scientists at the Undruggable Q&A webinar discussion on November 3rd, 2021. Register for the event at the link provided in the episode notes. To build a ProTac, researchers must screen for molecules that interact with the intended drug target. The next episode of Undruggable, we'll talk with Alex Guliev, Vice President at Amgen Research Copenhagen, about DNA-encoded libraries and their role in identifying molecules for induced proximity drug components. To keep up to date with this podcast, follow The Scientist on Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe to The Scientist Lab Talk wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast contains forward-looking statements that are based on the current expectations and beliefs of Amgen. All statements other than statements of historical fact are statements that could be deemed forward-looking statements, including any statements around the potential science and innovation of genetics and drug discovery. Forward-looking statements involve significant risks and uncertainties, including those described in the Securities and Exchange Commission reports filed by Amgen, including our most recent annual report on Form 10-K and any subsequent periodic reports on Form 10-Q and current reports on Form 8-K. Unless otherwise noted, Amgen is providing this information as of the date of this podcast and does not undertake any obligation to update any forward-looking statements contained in this podcast as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise. No forward-looking statement can be guaranteed, and actual results may differ materially from those we project.